0: Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you in part by GrowMark FS. For over 95 years, we've led the game. Power, we restored it. Protection, we reinvented it. Record yields, we redefined it. If there's one thing we know at FS, it's that just because something hasn't been done doesn't mean it can't be done. We're never satisfied unless we take your farming operation to the next level. Run your equipment at peak efficiency and bust the bins this season visit fsystem.com. The views and opinions of this program are those of the host guests and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading.
1: Bringing you the ag information you need. This is Market
0: Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And welcome to Market Talk. Thanks for joining us here today on the program. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. I hope you had a great Christmas as we race towards the new year. A couple very good conversations coming up on today's program. Coming up in segment three and four, I'm going to talk dairy and livestock markets with Robin Schmall from AgDairy, a division of JSA and AgMarket.net. First up, though, I was able to snag a conversation on Friday with Brian Irie from Crossroads Co-op. Brian's been on the show a few times, really great uh, analysis he shares and thoughts. We talked about some of the rail issues we saw last week uh, impacting trade uh, along the U.S.-Mexico border and what impacts that could potentially have had on basis and more in the interior. And we talked just kind of general how these markets are looking towards the end of the year. So here is part one of that conversation with Brian Irie from Crossroads Co-op. Well, let's start uh, with the grain trade, you know, fairly quiet activity for the most part heading into the uh, Christmas holiday and really through the week between Christmas and New Year's. We get that kind of thin, low volume type of trade, Um, but we know there's some things out there. It's it seems like traders are are watching two things here to the end of the year. South American weather, of course, in Brazil. But then the rail issues on the U.S.-Mexico border is something else that's kind of caught itself into uh, this grain trade the last couple of days. Here is, would you agree with that? Is that kind of the two things that we're really watching in this grain trade overall, with it being kind of the holiday mode?
2: Absolutely. It's and it's been a little un, uh, it's been a little unusual to be this quiet. But yes, um, a lot of uh, fear with uh, rail cars getting caught in Mexico as you mentioned. And that is a um, that is just a tough deal. The, the interesting thing is the, you know, the, the rail car market as I'm sure you know, is a secondary market. And a lot of times, uh, a grain company, a commercial such as us will buy those cars from someone else. And uh, they are certainly not wanting them to get stuck south of the border for any length of time, because it's incredibly costly when that happens.
0: Well, talk about that a little bit from your perspective, uh, you know, from a commercial end user perspective here, regardless of how soon this situation can get resolved. And I know it's a you know, we have the migrant crisis, of course, and and things down there. But just in terms of the impacts to the ag economy and transportation logistics, I, I know it's already affecting a lot of folks here in the U.S. So, I mean, from your perspective here the costs and just trains sitting around and moving grain uh, what could this potentially do to this market as we move forward here brian
2: well it it does it's going to force corn uh to back up in the interior and no commercial grain company wants to carry corn with interest rates at eight or nine percent it just is very costly and uh, so you you add some costs there plus you add the cost of the uh the rail cars not moving, not running. And interestingly enough, you know, it, it's not the railroads that have that have put the halt on this. It's it's really the, the government that has put the the halt on the traffic going back and forth. But um, yeah, I think the implications are far reaching. I think ultimately it could impact Mexico as well as they're not going to get regular shipments of corn who are moving forward, which uh, you know, it, uh, it it, the, the implications are far-reaching, and, and it's like you said—you, you, you know—you understand the migrant crisis and uh, what uh, what is taking place there. And you, you know, you certainly don't begrudge people from wanting to come to the U.S. for a better life. I mean, I, I, I certainly don't. You just wish that it could happen in a more orderly fashion. But uh, I think it's a mess that is going to um, to run on for a little while here until. Um, we can get it figured out. And I think the implications are far reaching on a, on a financial basis, especially for, uh, for the grain companies and for the folks that own the rail cars.
0: I wonder too, uh, you know, with the effects of this situation and getting some of this corn to back up into the interior and other grains, could it potentially depress basis prices here? Absolutely. Moving forward,
2: Ryan, absolutely. It could because, um, uh, the uh, you know typically the part of the grain company's uh, uh, bid process is what he can sell on any given day, and um, that um, that plays in. It does help that we have big carries in the grain market, and you can certainly sell something out in the future or hedge it out in the future and make some sense out of it. Begin to cover your costs, but. Uh, You know, a lot of corn on the ground this time of year that folks want to get picked up and gone, too. So, yeah, it's a a costly endeavor. It just is a a tough, tough situation, I think, especially for the commercial grain company.
0: In terms of South America weather, too, we're watching to see if the rains verify in Brazil. I've had some folks make the comment to me that it's maybe not being talked about how much rain they realistically need in Brazil with the way their soils are. And so there's some folks who are still very bullish, this soy complex. I know where things stand right now, we've kind of gotten, you know, front month beans down around that 13 level here on the board. But there's still plenty of folks out there that are are fairly bullish in soybeans until we see how much rain falls in Brazil. Is that something that you're keeping an eye on closely, Brian?
2: It's probably what is at the forefront now in terms of uh, market drivers, uh, and this week, uh, you know, the soybean market has been uh, mostly on the defensive, which is a little surprising. But, you know, to to answer your question directly, the uh, the rainfall amounts that they're getting down there, they seem to shrink as the fronts approach that the actual rainfall does. Uh, and I think it's just because they're in such a dry environment um, at this point in time. You know, we see that here a lot in the U.S. in the summertime, too, is. As the air turns drier, the the moisture just dissipates before it hits the ground, and I think they're certainly in that situation in a lot of areas. Twenty five to thirty percent of uh, Brazil is uh, is extremely deficit. It sounds like, and I I think the uh, the other piece to that is it was dry when they began to plant corn down there and soybeans, pushing uh, the crop uh, back into uh, a later. Period of time for harvest than what they typically see down there, which is going to prevent the second corn crop from being planted, which is a uh, big issue in, in my opinion, and probably one of the things around the U.S. corn situation that could be modestly bullish here moving
0: forward. And once again, that's the voice of Brian Irie from Crossroads Co-op. Again, we did have this conversation back on Fridays when I talked to Brian ahead of the Christmas holiday weekend. Uh, But still, great thoughts from him and the grains. We're going to talk more. We're going to look at wheat coming up here after the break. We're also going to talk cattle. Now, full disclosure, we did talk ahead of the cattle on feed report that came out Friday afternoon. Uh, But he does have some good thoughts just in general how this cattle market is looking as we head towards the end of the year. Speaking of that cattle on feed report, report last tuesday cattle on feed up three percent from last year 12 million head was the number placements were two percent below 2022 at 1.87 million head but that was still higher than pre-report expectations and marketings of fed cattle during november were seven percent below 2022 all right we'll continue our conversation with brian irie from crossroads co-op coming up after this here on market talk
1: Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now back to Jesse Allen.
0: And welcome back to Market Talk here today. Jesse Allen back with you, and let's get back to the conversation I had on Friday with Brian Irie from Crossroads Co-op. Again, we talked ahead of the Christmas holiday, but he uh, shared some great thoughts as we look at these markets near the end of the year. We discussed the wheat trade. We also talked livestock. We looked at cattle ahead of the cattle on feed report from Friday. Here is more of my conversation with Brian Irie from Crossroads Co-op. As you look at this wheat trade across all three complexes uh, and what are you watching here as we wrap up the year and move into 2024? Do we have a potential for a little more of a rally here or is it all kind of dependent on China maybe stepping back into this market?
2: I think it really Uh, comes down to China stepping back into the market and uh, what happened was the classic case of a market being driven Higher on demand. Uh, Um, Fortunately for the hard red winter wheat farmer, all the the demand was on the soft red winter wheat side. But nevertheless, the wheat uh, complex moved higher, priced itself out of uh, the uh, Chinese's uh, needs here on the front end as their own crop obviously is uh, in uh, Mm -hmm. poor condition. Uh, They have a lot of quality issues. And uh, it's, going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out here. We've also had a lot of rain over um, Kansas, uh, northern Oklahoma, northern Texas here over the course of the last um, 10 days. And there are two more fronts moving through here in the near future that are going to more than likely get our hard red winter crop back into a place where we're more comfortable with it. Uh, Eastern Colorado is really dry. Western Nebraska is dry. But again, there's chances for rain here over the next couple of days. I just feel like today that um, the only way that we find more demand for U.S. wheat is for U.S. wheat futures to go lower. Uh, and, and it's interesting because uh, you still have managed money very, very short wheat, and they tend to scramble for the door when we when we see some demand. So It's going to likely continue to be choppy on the wheat side in terms of futures here over the course of the next uh, several weeks as we get on into uh, spring and can get a good handle on what our crops here in the U.S. look like.
0: We are joined today by Brian Irie from Crossroads Co-op here on Market Talk. And Brian, you know, thinking about looking ahead to January and beyond, I know right away, for the most part, when we get into January, we got – the WASDE report, and we'll get a bunch of other reports from USDA out. And that's typically a very big report day. Uh, a lot of market-moving news can be seen there. Surprises can be seen there. What would you say to folks on the grain side here thinking about risk management ahead of those key reports? Because I think largely as this market drifts through the holiday mode here, uh, it's a time for folks to kind of sit down and put pen to paper here a little bit and figure things out ahead of a, a big report like that. So, what would you say in terms of risk management here the next couple of weeks?
2: Yeah, I think the um, I, I think the big thing that could come out of those reports is going to be an increased U.S. corn yield. There's a lot of chatter about the USDA raising uh, corn uh, yield by a, as much as a bushel per acre. You know, the the flip side of that is going to be what do they do with uh, the demand side of the equation, and it seems like they've done a lot to that up here through the December report. I still think that we are in a very, very risky situation in terms of corn futures and corn basis. You've got um, a lot of the front end demand covered up here in the corn market. Ethanol margins have kind of turned south. They're not good at all relative to what we were seeing here through the last um, six months. And um, we talked about the situation with Mexico potentially backing corn up into the interior. It just feels like we're in a situation here, Jesse, where you not only have risk in in the futures price, but you also could have some risk in basis as well moving forward here. This environment that we're in with uh, big uh, corn carries, which is – driven by a huge corn supply is a classic case where the front month uh, will typically go off the board and the next month up will just drift back up to where the front month went off. And it certainly feels like that's where we're headed. I think that is the one biggest um, risk in those reports. Secondly is going to be Brazil production, which is, going to be back and forth, I think, here for a little while in terms of the weather developments down there that we were just discussing.
0: Let's move over and talk livestock. And we think about the issues along the border between the U.S. and Mexico. I wonder if that could maybe have an impact on, on cattle and hog prices here as well as we move to the end of the year and into 2024. So that, that's one caveat. I think let's just start with that. Do you think we could see any impacts? I would think maybe could have some impacts on feed costs, potentially, if we back this corn up and, and more and back up soybean meal, et cetera, into the interior. What do you think about that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with you there. Um, and, you know, it's it's interesting to note, too, that Mexico has an ongoing drought in uh, in uh, its country as well, which has driven a lot of cattle up into the U.S., partially responsible for the big placement numbers that we saw back in November. We will have to see uh, how that plays out here. Um, And obviously, they are importing a lot of of corn to feed the cattle that they do have. So that goes back to the logistics problems we that we've had. Um, We do have a really important cattle on feed report out this afternoon. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Cattle numbers are uh, way larger here on the front end than what we had uh, Mm -hmm. originally anticipated and uh, you know with the dry weather that we saw in the late summer cattle got pulled forward Uh, I think we end up uh, here as we move on through the year um, yeah with feeder cattle live cattle all bouncing right back to the kind of levels that they broke from here over the course of the last 60 to 90 days and um, you know, uh, I, I don't know if you have you looked at any of these estimates for the report today, but cattle marketed were at 93.2 percent of a year ago, which implies about 1.762 million cattle killed. And yeah, no,
1: we I, had think had I, I think
2: we're, I think we're backing, still backing up cattle in but, the uh, feed yards. Um, yeah, the those one one are still day day some of the, day the day cheapest feeders that are available out there, and I think with. The product being difficult to move, we're going to be shipping a lot of heavy cattle here on the front end, so we probably end up in a situation okay, there with a, uh, a lot okay, of beef right. on the front end, but by the time we get to uh, late spring, early summer, that's gone, and we go to the other extreme again.
0: I wonder, too, in terms of this uh, livestock market as a whole, we obviously have seen the economy, the broader economy, impact things here across yep. ag all year long and really last couple of years. Uh, in the talk of rate cuts and more getting into 2024, it, you look at the economy, Do you are you concerned about that having a, a negative Ooh impact overall uh, especially on cattle prices continuing here and some of that domestic demand as we move into and export demand for that matter as we All move right, into next so year it, I absolutely
2: that. i think that is a big big deal um the um you know with product backing up it's uh, it is um okay. not a good situation report, so. and you know it kind of depends on who you listen it'll to obviously the, the high-end cuts are going to back up first part. but i think that You just don't see a lot of beef being moved through the retail outlets like you typically would for the for the very reason that people don't have money to spend at this point. And, you know, I think it's helped that uh, energy prices have dropped, but uh, it's a long road to hoe for a lot of uh, households, I think, moving forward in that regard. And definitely will have an have an impact on where uh, beef prices go.
0: Brian, great thoughts. Before we let you go and wrap it up here today, anything final you would share or reiterate for folks as they're looking at their operation and looking at their marketing plans and more here as we head into 2024?
2: I think it's just really interesting uh, as we move forward here. We um, have seen corn drop in the last year from you know eight eight and a half dollars down to four and a half to five dollars. I don't think that situation gets better as we move forward here. I think you're going to have further Drops in uh, the values of grain. I think the producer is going to have to stay on his toes as far as marketing goes I keep reiterating that we've got these of uh, 24 corn Just hovering above five dollars. I right wrong or indifferent It still feels like today that getting some risk management in place to mitigate uh, The risk that you're going to have moving forward is incredibly important and and that's probably even the case in wheat as we have watched uh, july kansas city futures drop below 650 i'm still not certain that getting uh you know dipping your toe in the water at the very least to manage risk is just huge at this juncture
0: well once again that was a conversation with brian irie from crossroads co-op that i had with him back on friday ahead of the christmas holiday weekend all right killed up next we're going to talk dairy and livestock with robin schmall from ag dairy a division of jsa at agmarket.net he joins us next here on market talk
3: Your local FS is member-owned, and that means when you buy our flagship brands like FS InVision and FS HiSoy, you're actually buying seed from yourself. And you wouldn't sell yourself anything but the best, would you? In field after field, FS brands are outyielding the competition. Talk to your local FS crop specialist about InVision corn or Soy soybean seed today. At harvest, you'll be glad you did. InVision and Hi-Soy are available exclusively at your local FS member company
1: keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen.
0: Well, joining us now here on the program, we wanted to dive into the latest milk production report, the dairy markets in general, as we near the end of 2023. Talk a little bit about livestock as a whole, especially that cattle market. Here for a conversation today. We are pleased to have with us Robin Schmall with Ag Dairy, a division of JSA and agmarket.net. Robin, always good to uh, talk with you. It's been a while, but thanks so much for joining us on the program today. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, I'm doing well. And thank you
1: for inviting me to come on.
0: Well, Robin, let's start with the latest milk production reports. I know those numbers uh, coming out here just a few days ago. November milk production. Shows it was down uh, a half a percent, uh, and I'm just wondering your thoughts on that top-line um, headline that I saw there. Overall, as you look at the latest milk production report, what stands out to you as some of the key factors? Let's start there.
1: Well, I think some of the key factors would be uh, the cow numbers of the decline from, uh, November, from October to November, <clears throat>
2: mm-hmm. We're down
1: 10,000 head in the U.S., and that's a sizable number that we haven't seen again for a while. Um, stands to reason based on our lower prices that we're looking at again. But, but yet, um, that's probably we have to see more of that really in order to get support under this market. The down 0.5% in the 24 states, 0.6 in the in the U.S. Really is not a big issue off of this report. So you can view this report as a little friendly. But the interesting thing, when we're breaking down the numbers a little bit, is the um, it's the lowest cow numbers that we've had since June of two thousand twenty. Wow! But then the lowest milk production, monthly milk production only, is back to February of this year. So we're seeing we have seen the strength in the production per cow, uh, but the production per cow is the lowest since November two thousand twenty one. So. We're seeing the we're, we're, we have been seeing stronger production per cow making up for some of the uh, decrease in the overall herd. Um, so that's why part of partially why we're not seeing the strength that we might have seen or we did see uh, based on how the market was moving at the end of 2021, which got real concern over a tight milk market.
0: Well I think about those numbers and interesting points uh, you bring up uh, thinking about the, the tight milk number and some of those lowest numbers since 2020 and I, I look at this dairy market in general here towards the end of the year Robin and we've seen our fair share of volatility uh, throughout clustering milk futures throughout cheese prices butter etc uh, talk to me a little bit about this this trade overall here as we near the end of the year can we expect this volatility to continue, do you think? What are you, what are you looking at right now?
1: Yeah, I think we'll see volatility, but I think it's going to be muted relative to what we did see, especially in the butter market. Um, we're, you know, butter was, has been climbing a little bit lately, but, you know, you have some fill-in buying. They come in a little more aggressively. Once that fill-in buying is satisfied, I, the price drops back again. Uh, cheese has been struggling a little bit more. I think we're going to see the volatility, but it's going to be a muted volatility relative to what we had. Because for one reason, especially in the cheese side of it, manufacturers are not holding on to cheese. They want to move this product. They don't want to pay storage on it. They want to move this product through the end of the year. So they're not banking on, oh, maybe we're going to see a surge in demand. Maybe we're going to be able to get another 20 cents. A pound or so out of this cheese in the next month. They're not looking at it that way. They're the the overall attitude is is really not positive, at least for the foreseeable future. Um, but they're moving it, and uh, demand has been good, but not good enough. And the real impact, probably overall, that we've seen is just the slower exports. So. Uh, through the end of the year, I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of trend being developed any way or the other. And then we move into the first part of the year, which normally is a slower demand period. Um, some inventory start to be built and um, we're going to end the year potentially with inventory similar to the end of last year. Uh, so there's just not a lot underneath that market to get traders excited right now.
0: Oh, good thoughts uh, there, thinking about that, and then glad you brought up getting into next year because I think we can segue our conversation a little bit to, you know, what's it going to take to rebuild this cow herd? I think on on the cattle side, the beef side, what's it going to take to rebuild our beef herds as well as we got very low numbers uh, on that side of the equation. What are your thoughts there? I mean, what are we looking at in terms of starting to maybe rebuild our our cow herd and for for dairy and, and our beef herd in general, as we get into next year, is it going to take a while, Robin? What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think it's going to take a while. I think uh, we've come off the high prices in the in the in the beef herd, and uh, there was a real push there to try to to somewhat well, I shouldn't say maybe a real push to somewhat you know increase uh, potential for cow numbers because with the high prices, there were a lot of these females that were getting slaughtered. So even with the decrease we've had in a drought situation uh, on the, on the beef herd, I mean, we're really looking at a slow rebuild potentially and it's probably going to take more than this next year to do that. Um, but along with that, we can't get too bullish. And what I mean by bullish is that we're going to move back up to $200, you know, or anything because, <clears throat> uh, It's the demand-driven, and and Mm -hmm. that's where we are right now. And and when we've looked at boxed beef prices over the last few months, they've actually been trending lower. So that's an indication of a little bit slower demand, part of that because of the higher interest rates, uh, maybe a little bit less disposable income, uh, change in eating habits, maybe a little bit lower restaurant traffic, which we hear that back and forth, and some of that depends on the location uh, and and then so that's going to take a while. But like I've like I tell some of my customers and stuff is <clears throat> when they ask about, well, how come prices are so low? Because cow numbers are tight. And, and I tongue in cheek, I said, well, if there's only one cow left in the country and nobody wants it, the price is too high. But I'm not going <laughs> going to that extent. <laughs> but I think we're going to find a balance in here. And I think we might see some stronger beef prices as we move along here, but revisiting the highs we had before, I think is gonna be very difficult to achieve. And we're looking over on the dairy side, it's gonna be interesting rebuilding that herd because we've had a large push for beef on dairy because of the high prices. And what I'm hearing from customers and other dairy farmers out there that have done some expansion or whatever, heifer supplies are tight and they're higher priced. And I think that's a result of this more of a push to beef on dairy. And that's not going to change anytime real soon. Uh, So I think on our biannual uh, inventory report, we're going to have at the end of January, uh, we're going to see uh, tight, tighter heifer numbers, the ratio to to dairy cattle, like we saw in the July report, where we saw like the lowest um, ratio of heifers to cows, I believe, I don't have it in front of me now, by I believe since like 2003. And I think part of that is because of that, because we did have sex semen. And when the sex semen came on board, we had all of a sudden, we had a lot of heifers.
0: Mm-hmm. And we
1: had lower prices. And now with the beef on dairy, the lower producers in the herd are less productive cows, let's say, or less genetically good cows have been bred to the beef on dairy. And I think we're going to start seeing, and this is just maybe a bigger term thing that we're going to see more of the beef on dairy coming into the market with the market going down or lower like it is now. And then there's going to be a slow switch back again to doing more of the breeding for with a sex semen to get heifers, and we're going to go through that cycle again, which that eventually could tighten up cow numbers, tighten up milk supply, which then would put put us to higher prices.
0: We are having a conversation today with Robin Schmall from Ag Dairy, Division of JSA, agmarket.net. And Robin, I'm glad you brought up beef on dairy. Uh, To kind of tag on to what you were saying about that, is some of the reasoning for beef on dairy becoming a a very – hot topic right now very popular because I've, I've been hearing a lot about this the last uh, few months here of the year is it just to help increase some of our versatility on our operation at this point in time just as we look at the the current price environment high interest rates etc trying to um you know get the most out of our herd is is that part of the reasoning do you think behind the the push here for beef on dairy is just to increase our overall versatility in our operation
1: well, I don't know if it's versatility basis, basic, just income. Sure. You know, instead of selling a Holstein bull calf for $100 or 150 they can do a beef on dairy for 500 And that's what's been going on. So it's more of a driven by I need to make some or have some cash flow on my operation. I don't think it's so much versatility. That would be if they would raise these up to feeders or fat cattle and selling. But they're doing that and they're selling these as calves and they can increase their income quite a bit more. And that's that's really the push behind it.
0: Fantastic, all right. Well, we appreciate some thoughts on that. We are talking to Robin Schmall from Ag Dairy, a division of JSA and agmarket.net. Coming up after the break, I wanna ask Robin a little bit about the uh, live and feeder cattle markets and the hog market too. We're gonna to continue our conversation on the way right after this here on Market Talk.
1: Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy, just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button, or you can search for Market Talk
3: Egg on YouTube.
1: Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Market Talk with Jesse Allen.
0: And we continue here on Market Talk today with Robin Schmall from Ag Dairy, Division of JSA and AgMarket.net. Robin, let's switch gears. Let's talk feed costs first. Uh, obviously, we got a cord market that's pretty depressed here near the end of the year. Any notes for folks on the uh, feed side of the equation?
1: Yeah, I think uh, it's, it's good to see as far as purchased feed. We're starting, uh, not starting. We have been seeing that that price come down a little bit. I I do impress on people not to become complacent because always when we're looking at, you know, the potential that, oh, this is going to continue to move down, something throws a wrench in the works. And when you're seeing, you know, soybean meal below $400 a ton, you're seeing corn where it is right now. Uh, The best thing I think for producers to do is either they can can do some contracting with their local co-ops, their elevators to make sure they've got that covered or you're going to the board and just buying some options because we wanna leave some flexibility to take the lower price, but we just do not need to get into the position where all of a sudden feed prices would go higher, especially maybe led by Brazil if they continue to see dryness and they keep reducing some of their expectations for their soybean and corn crop. We haven't seen it yet it hasn't really pushed into the market a little bit too early but if it continues and gets to that point uh, we could see this market adjusts quite significantly and then with the lower milk prices it's it's not a good situation and as far as it's the same thing goes for the beef people i mean Mm -hmm. we have to provide some protection but but do it with some flexibility
0: well, Robin, uh, thinking about risk management, of course, uh, figuring out your feed costs and more, that's all part of the, the overall plan. Uh, what's your thoughts for folks uh, as they manage their risk here moving into 2024 uh, on the beef side, on the dairy side? Uh, just general thoughts here. Anything you would say to folks as they're thinking about things and kind of putting pencil to paper here the next few weeks, uh, pen to paper maybe in some instances, what would you say to folks to, about the risk management right now?
1: Well, on the beef side, we got to look at if you purchase some feeder cattle, you know, of course, if you purchased them earlier and didn't do anything at a higher price, then then we just, you just basically got to hope that we get a little bit of a bounce here. But when you purchase these feeder cattle, take a look out and see what we've got as far as futures are concerned. You know, what's going to work. Um, I'm a large proponent of well, options for one, for put options, but I think the livestock risk protection insurance is really a great thing as far as the uh, the cattle industry is concerned. You can go out there, you know, like now, probably to December or October or November of next year, and you can actually put a livestock risk protection policy in place for a certain amount of head, and uh, it's a floor. It's basically, it's a floor, you got yourself covered. If we go higher, great. Uh, on the dairy side, something similar, dairy river, revenue protection insurance. And as, as far as I've been doing a lot of put option spreads, you buy one at the money, sell one, a dollar and a quarter lower, provides a limited downside protection, but it does provide downside protection. But mainly looking at risk management, I think on the dairy side, the, the livestock side, do a strategy that's going to allow you to get, leave some upside open. You don't want to lock yourself in right now. Um, because with volatility, with a change in market, uh, emotion, I mean, markets can be driven substantially by emotion for a period of time. And uh, I can just look back at the butter market, uh, where the emotion that came into that butter market you know, in, um, what was it, like August, and where mm-hmm. it drove it to October to a record high, even when we didn't have the concern we had in, in 2020 of a tight milk market, this was just a leapfrog effect of buyers buying on the what if, and that's what we need to guard against.
0: Very good thoughts, very good thoughts. Robin, uh, before we let you go too, I, I'll I'll throw this at you because I know you, do keep an eye on the hog market too um we're not necessarily we're not milking hogs or anything but you do keep <laughs> an eye on that side of the livestock sector uh hogs have been pretty tough really it feels like all year long in 2023 uh any notes or any thoughts uh for our hog producers out there as they kind of take a look at that market as a whole and uh, assess things for 2024
1: that's a difficult one. Uh, the market's been uh, really rough, and uh, when we're looking at the cash prices, you know, down below fifty dollars, and and we haven't seen the solid support coming off of the cutouts. Um, it's just tough, and Packers have not had to be aggressive because the hogs are there now. We'd like to see some of the export interest pick up. I thought maybe we would a little bit more with these lower prices, but that really has not taken a hold right now. Um, We need to see the demand pick up, uh, which hopefully lower prices will do that, but we need to see see numbers decrease uh, so that packers have to be a little more aggressive trying to pull some of those forward or weights decline I mean, shoot! Last week we were looking at weights. What was it? Four point five pounds higher than a year ago. It's mm-hmm. uh, that's a lot of tonnage there when they when they buy in some of the stuff. So we need to see that stuff decrease. Which, if we see it decrease, maybe we're pulling hogs forward, which might indicate that we're starting to tighten up supply a little bit. But it's going to be tough. I, I think the the hog market's going to be a little bit tougher maybe to see some higher prices versus cattle or dairy even though dairy is low as we move into the next uh, next year um that's it's it, it's going to take a little bit of while a little while in order to turn that thing to find some aggressive a bank of buying aggressive movement aggressive retail demand to provide some support
0: robin merry christmas happy new year to you and yours thanks for joining us today
1: all right same to you thank you
0: once again, that's Robert Schmal with Ag Dairy, Division of JSA at agmarket.net. We're out of time here on the show. Thanks for listening to Market Talk of Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day.
3: Your local FS is member-owned, and that means when you buy our flagship brands like FS Envision and FS High Soy, you're actually buying seed from yourself, and you wouldn't sell yourself anything but the best, would you? In field after field, FS brands are out yielding the competition. Talk to your local FS crop specialist about Envision corn or high soy soybean seed today. At harvest, you'll be glad you did. Envision and high soy are available exclusively at your local FS member company.